Welcome to the School of Risk podcast where we have insightful, valuable, and sometimes intense conversations on the various dynamics of risk taking in life and business. I am your host, Chisipele Budo, and today with me on the show is Ibiere Ade. Ibiere Ade is a close friend. We go way, 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 way back, and we've got some interesting stories that we are going to share with you today. She, in particular, is going to share with you some really insightful uh, messages. She's a great risk taker who's done some amazing things and is doing some amazing things. I'm going to let you listen to this wonderful show. I'm not going to talk too much. This girl is amazing. She's a rock star. Man, ladies, risk takers, welcome to the show and enjoy this conversation. You know what time it is. It's time to go to school. Welcome to the School of Risk podcast, my dearest friend from longest time ago. <laughs> welcome, 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 welcome. I'm so, 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 so pleased you are here. I'm more excited that you are, you agreed. Please <laughs> being pronounced. <laughs> agreed to be on the show because I know you are going to be hesitant, but you're here and that's great. Yeah. And that's the criteria for people who are on this show that you take risk and you are a big risk taker. Listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking like I'm Russian now with my. <laughs> <laughs> Being friends, but uh, listen. Introduce yourself. Let our listeners know who you are and a bit of background about you, what you do, and so on and so forth. Please take it away, <laughs> my dearest friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> making me feel very special on the show. You are special. You are special. So, uh, I'm Ibiri Ade, um, but most people call me IB. So I always um, say this joke of. Think about IBM without the M, so you call me oh, IBM. I like that. <laughs> so, yeah, um, simply because some people say Eve, and so I have to do that introduction of IBM IBM without the M. And um, I'm a mother of two. I've got a, uh, a boy and a girl. And I work currently in a pharmaceutical company called Daiichi Sankyo. Um, it's a Japanese company. And um, <laughs> I work as an IT business partner, or internally we call it the business relationship manager, but it's pretty much the same um, within the IT sector. So like a middle person between um, the business stakeholders and IT, making sure that we're bringing something strategic to the table. And when I'm not doing my nine to five or nine to six or nine to seven, sometimes I am a secret writer. I would like to say um, not many people know I write, but I do write. I do love writing. I write different genres. I write um, kids book. I write um, poetry. That's my my main passion. I started as a poet. I started writing at the age of 13. And um, I have a lot of poems. I think I have over 200 poems written. Wow. And um, I am currently working on various projects at the moment. I am, I just produced my first short film, um, which was based on a poem I wrote about 20 years ago, um, Crush Roses. And um, I'm also working on 
two or three more films for between this year and next year. So that's kind of like me in a nutshell. And I'm based in Germany, Munich. Amazing intro. <laughs> and, you know, you gave me the honor of reviewing your short film. <laughs> I'm not going to say much, you know, it's, um, it's your movie, but it's, um, yes, thank you for giving me that privilege. It's You're amazing, welcome. <laughs> an amazing movie. And, Thank and you. It entered into a number of film festivals, if yes. correct in saying yeah. so. Okay. I, yeah, I've put it in about 30 film festivals. I'm just waiting to hear from them. Um, I was selected for two. Wow. Um, one called TAP, which is one of the, um, sorry, one of the uh, biggest, one of the notable ones for Africans as well. It's based in Dallas, Texas. Um, it's called um, the African Film Festival. And um, then another one, which was the Belling Off, which I, you know, declined. Um, you know, Why I was declining? Um, simply because um, the way that they were going to do the selection process meant that the, the audience had to pay, you know, to watch the films, which right. I think is unfair. And also... Um, you know, I just thought, you know, if you want to do a selection, you do it, you know, do it the proper way, like most film festivals would do. We've paid entry to go into this um, competition. And so it's only fair that you organize the festivals the proper way without extorting money from people. That I mean, was my personal view. I like that because that's that's quite ethical. And as you know, with the yeah. film industry, it's, um, it's pretty much a, a dog, eat, dog, eat, dog, dog eat dog world, you know. And um, it's all about making money, and sometimes exactly. Fun and you, you've done the right thing by entering into into it into the into the um, festival and paying for it. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's really fair that um, people who go to watch it, you know, exactly. Right. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So how did we get here? Just you know, if listeners, you guys don't know, we go way back. We go <laughs> way back from when we were young in Port Harcourt, Nigeria. <laughs> And um, we obviously met here again in the UK. Yeah. And now, oh my goodness, my goodness. <laughs> uh, you know, and you know, there's so many stories that we can tell here, but let's 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 go back a bit, you know, to okay. Port You know, let's go back <laughs> to Port Let's take a trip down memory lane. Okay. So um talk about that. Talk about life in Port Let's get to know <laughs> you a little bit more. And um, okay. <laughs> yeah, you, you choose what you want to talk about. Um, what's life in Potakot? So um, I moved to Potakot when I was about eight. Um, I moved to live with my dad. Um, so I initially was living with my mother. We lived abroad for a while because um, I was born in the UK. And then we moved back from, uh, we moved from the UK to Nigeria, I think when I was about five or so, five or six, I can't remember. And um, I stayed with my mom for like about two years. And then um, she felt it was time for me to visit my dad. Not that I didn't visit my dad, but, you know, just to spend a bit much, um, a longer time with my my dad and my other siblings. So, because I've got some other siblings. Um, funny enough, <laughs> my dad's got quite a lot of children. And um, the, the interesting thing about a lot of children is that I'm the only one without an actual um sibling in the sense that I don't have one with the same father and the same mother with me so I'm kind of like a single child but I've never really felt it heavily 
um, because we just, you know, I don't know if people know much of those who are Nigerians. I don't know if they know much about um, Potakot. Potakot is kind of like a family place, I would like to say. So um, the street that we lived on, which you also lived on, Atillery, <laughs> um, it was kind of like we, we were like family, I would say. You know, everybody went to everybody's house. Everybody watched films in everybody's house. It was just a family feeling. And um, I most of my friends that I have now, the ones that I call my real friends, not that the others are not, but, you know, my longest friends have been from the people that I knew on that street. So like you, um, then, you know, some other friends um, like Budukara, which I married into. Not going to yes, say that. Did. Yes, you did. <laughs> and, but, yeah. and your brother and your yeah. sister, who I'm still very much in touch with. Yeah, we're still very exactly. close. She was here in the UK as well, but moved back to Nigeria with her husband. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So, Potato is a nice place. I'm going up there. So excited to see this podcast. <laughs> well. <laughs> She's probably going to be telling me, you know what? I want to be on now. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, thank you. I mean, it's it's a good thing to talk about. I mean, it's yeah. uh, for me, it's exciting because I get to share my story through your, your medium. And also, you're taking people's stories to, you know, everyone's ears so that they know that, it is possible if you've got a dream or you've got a challenge, you know, there are people out there who've been through it. It's not unique to you. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. No, it's, it's a pleasure. And that's why I'm doing this. You know, I want to put people, you know, I want people's voices to be heard, you know, mm-hmm. through people hearing your voices. They also hear mine because I tell my stories in different versions based on okay. you know, whatever relationship we have or we've had, you know, mm-hmm. which is something that I am really, really, um, you know, Please, that I did get off, you know, my behind and got it done because <laughs> I waited three years. I waited three years to get this done. You know, well done. I put this in my head a few years ago. Three years we were in uh, in, in, in his office and we were talking, and he said, "Just put your stuff out there." You know, do it. That's right. Do it. Was, and the idea he gave me was to do one every single day of the week. You wow. Know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what's funny? I actually started, you know, doing it one every day of the week, but it was too much with everything else I was doing. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to scale it down so I can just be consistent with it. And, you know, once you, want to, yeah. you want to make sure that you've got enough time to, you know, yes. produce the best. Exactly. So it's more about quality and not, cut, exactly. not um, you know, quantity. Exactly. So you come from a very diverse family. You've touched, <laughs> on, that. You've touched on that. And, um, yeah. you know, a lot of people will probably know your name, your family oh, name. Yeah. Um, tell us about that. Um, I don't really talk about my family um, simply because um, there is a mixture of things <laughs> that has mm-hmm. happened, but I mean, it's normal. I come from a polygam- polygamous family and um, my father, <laughs> um, late now, bless his soul, um, he was a people used to call him a shrewd businessman and I think he wasn't really now that I'm older I don't think he was shrewd I think he was just trying to survive you know where there's so many other giants there and the market was fierce so um he got himself into so many of them so so many types of businesses so he owned a bank yes he was one of those to first own a bank and his bank was the one of the I think the first to be shown on CNN um, back in the days, um, it was called Crystal um, Crystal Bank, I think it was. And then 
um, he also had a shipping business. Um, he used to, you know, he, yeah, he had the shipping business basically and um, some other things. He was a lawyer by profession, a marrying law um, lawyer. And, um, but he was a strong dad, I would say. Sometimes we used to joke he was a non-resident father, but he was non-resident, I mean, in the sense that we sometimes saw him maybe twice or three times a year. Um, simply because he was always working and traveling to different places just to make sure that he's putting food on the table. And not until you become a parent before you understand what your parents have done for you. You know, I also think about my mother, my mom. I mean, she's a survivor. Yeah, she's a single mom. Yeah, she is. She yeah. is. She's a single mom. I've got myself on my mom's side, I've got two um two siblings, they're twins. Funny enough, born on 1st of April. I think we played a prank on you once about that 1st of April. Yes, thing. That. Oh my goodness, you guys got me so well. Yeah, I think we did. I remember. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, my mom is, um, she, uh, she's amazing. She works so, so hard as a single mom and has always taught us that, you know, it doesn't matter where we find ourselves. You know, we should just put ourselves to it. We can do it never look down we can go for the best it may not look rosy but you know it's gonna happen one day and she's still doing it actually you know i mean we, we tease her she's jovial she yeah. does exercises with us she does all sorts you amazing. know she's the grandma and she's still doing the same thing with the grandchildren that's amazing one thing you probably don't know you don't know this it's um it's not a secret but you know back then in port Arcus, so myself jeff and another friend of ours. Mm -hmm. We looked up to your dad. Oh, all right. <laughs> I never mentioned this to you because you know, oh. because of his um his um his businesses, we saw him. See, we, we didn't even know what the word meant then, what entrepreneurship meant, but mm -hmm. we saw him as an entrepreneur and we wanted to we were emulating him. So I remember one of my my close friends, Jeff, you know, we were, you know, we thought we would follow in that footstep. We wanted to own our own businesses. And each time we talked about that, we always mentioned your dad. And um, mm -hmm. even though I was in university at that point in time, I really wasn't interested. Okay. I wanted, and while I was in uni, I was just running my own business with my friend, Jeff. We were trying to secure contracts with, you know, companies, you know, okay. banks. We got, we got this contract one time. We couldn't finance it. It was, um, <laughs> it was an interesting story there, but... Okay. I'm sorry because Jeff wants to be on the podcast with me where we're going to talk, talk about all these stories. So I'll say right. that. That would be good to hear. Yeah. I mean, my dad is, I mean, he wasn't one of those rich men that felt because he's rich, his children have to be spoiled. He made sure that we knew the value of money and earning it. So you won't believe that every holiday we had to go work in the sense that we had to work for my stepmom. So those of us that were younger would have to go and work in my stepmom's school doing like arts and craft. My mm -hmm. elder ones, which, you know, my elder brother, your friend and everything, yes. they would go to somewhere called Eagle Cement, which was like hours away from where we leave. They, there would be a car. Excuse me, don't, my dad refused. You know, my dad was the, uh, he was the AMD there. He was the, oh, okay. uh, the second managing director. And I wanted to work there, he refused. My brothers worked there. No way. 6 a.m., the, the taxi, it was more like a taxi, not uh, even room of Bia, No, room of, across the place. I can't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> but they worked there. About wow. 6 a.m., the car would pick them up. I didn't know that. Go there. 
Yeah. Even Tar my elder sister, Tari, had to work in the law firm. Um, she would go arranging books and things like that. But he made sure that every holiday when we were not traveling or not doing something, you know, family related, we were mm -hmm. working. And, you know, from time to time, he would give us some money. But that money was for us to he wouldn't really buy us clothes. He would yeah. want us to go buy them ourselves. When he does buy us clothes, yes, he does buy us, you know, bunch, you know, boxes of clothes. But at that same time, he would still want us to go get things for ourselves. We would go to the market. We would even take transportation. You know, we had loads of cars. You, you do know how wealthy my know, dad was. But we would still take transport to the various yeah. places we were going to. We would go to, I don't know if you remember this place called Oil Mill, Oil Mill Market. Oil Mill Market, yes. yes. We used to call it, we would, uh, it was called the Ben Down Boutique. Yes. Exactly. We would shop there. We would buy clothes from there. And people, people found it hard to believe that, you know, we're well, my father's wealthy, but wow. yet we were doing these things, but that's the way he brought us up, which was good. Yes, no, that, that that's good because I think my my dad was like that as well. Um, he wouldn't give us, he wouldn't give us money. I mean, for him, it was all about education. Exactly. So for him. me, it wasn't all about education. I saw things differently. You know, yeah. my dad was more of a, I don't know if I call him a civil servant, he just worked, you mm -hmm. know, and he wasn't a businessman. I was a business mind in the family, you know, oh. and, you know, he didn't like that. You know, so it was, I was seen as rebellious when I said I just wanted to, you know, just end university, leave for the UK. And, and you did. <laughs> and, and I did. He didn't want me to leave for the UK. He didn't want to give me my passport and all that stuff. Well, we had a bit of a, you know, as... You know, <laughs> men, we, we fought our way through it. And then it yeah. was agreed that I'll, you know, go do my thing, you know, which I'm happy I did in the end. You know, so here we are. We, we're, we're in Europe. You're in Germany now. You know, mm -hmm. you left me here in the UK. Thank you for being <laughs> <laughs> you know, You're married to my good friend, you know, as well. Yeah. yeah. Amazing story. So. Why did you leave the UK? I mean, you were doing quite well, you know, with IT, because I know you're quite at IT savvy, yeah. technology. Well, I wouldn't say I was doing quite well. That's what many people think. I mean, UK for me wasn't what it was when I was growing up. It changed. I mean, you look at a lot of places, it's not exactly how it was, you know. So for me, I didn't feel UK was safe. And I didn't feel that the UK had anything else offered to me and my family. Um, we, there were periods where, um, I, I think the UK system is a bit funny. So you give and give and give, you know, I, as you said, I'm in IT and I was working hard and paying a lot of taxes and things yeah. like that. But at the time that I really needed the UK, when I, um, when I had my first child and I was out to work, they said to me, because we bought a place, I wasn't eligible for benefits. I had to survive on my maternity money. And I'm thinking... I've given so much to this government yeah. and you tell me this, because they started taxing me when I was a teenager, because I started doing IT road, uh, yeah. roles yeah. when I was a teenager, because I, I always, I mean, my parents taught me to work, and so that's all I knew. And so for me, I felt this was rubbish. I So I moved from London, first of all, to um, um, Dunstable, which is around Luton. Yes. We stayed there for about six months. We're, my, my husband and I, we just like taking risks. You know, we don't really seek people's opinion whether we should move. And everybody's always like, yeah. you're yeah. always on the move. And so we moved to Dunstable for about six months. And after that, we moved. To, um, I got two offers, two job offers. One was, um, I think, 
one was um, in um, Birmingham and one was somewhere else. I think it was with IBM. So we moved to um, Birmingham, well, not Birmingham, Dudley, which is outskirts of um, Birmingham. And I was working there. I was working for IBM for like two years. I was, I found out I was pregnant whilst I was working for IBM. I was doing, I like to take risks, as you can see. I was was pregnant with my son, my second child, whilst I was working for IBM. I was doing back-to-back work. There was a period I did 40 workshops in a month and did 40 documents. And when I went to... I think I was about eight months pregnant when I went to the, uh, the midwife to say, you know, you know, what, what does the baby look like? Is everything okay? She says, I think you should take your file with you. I think you're going to drop any minute. I'm like, Oh no, I'm not ready to take my maternity leave. So I still have a lot of things to do. I went to work on Friday by Saturday morning. I went into labor and had my son. That's how much of a stress I put on my wow. body. Wow. <laughs> and, um, from there, I felt that, you know, IBM consultancy is not ideal when you have um, a, a family, a young family. And then I looked for another job. I got another job. And then um, we were hungry. Um, I forgot to say, in 2008, we really wanted to move, you know, to Europe. We wanted to move to Switzerland. We'd been trying. I even did an interview to the third stage and they dropped me. And so in 20, I think 2014, yeah, uh, when my son was about two, but about to turn two, um, we the place we were staying, they wanted us to, um, they always come to check the place every six months to one year to just make sure everything's fine. And the day before the inspection, my son, Mr. Picasso, had drawn all over the white wall. He literally <laughs> took a blue marker <laughs> all over the white wall. We just painted the wall. Yeah. And so when they came to see the place, they were like, oh, no, they can't have this. We have to paint the wall. I'm like, look, I have a two years old. I have my daughter who was, I think, two and a, um, about to turn, no, she just turned four. And my son is about to turn two. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to paint this wall again. Send me, if you're not happy, send me your notice, my notice. And so they served us a one month notice. When they came to serve us, it was on the day of my son's second birthday. And yeah. so my husband and I were very happy. We went out, celebrated. We actually went to Nando's. We even took pictures. We were so happy for some strange reason. Yeah. And then we decided, let's try again for Europe. Let's start applying for jobs. That same week, I got two offers, one for Switzerland and one for Germany. My Switzerland one, I wasn't too keen on it. I felt that they were wow. like jacket. Um, It was a bank. And in the interview, the lady was so cold. I mean... It was, you could, you could hardly get a laugh out from her, you know, or smile or anything. And you know me. I'm you always joking. The culture would be like. Exactly. And so I said no to that job. I came out of the building, looked up and said, God, I don't want this job. And then the one, the one for Germany, it was a contract job for 14 or 16 months. And they, um, they offered me the job and said, it's not, it's not a permanent role. It's only about 16 months. I'm like, we'll take it. So. We didn't tell the family about it. We waited till I signed my contract. My husband was still looking for jobs as well. And then when I signed my contract, we threw a party for my son, his second birthday. And that's where we told the family we're moving to Germany. We put all our things in the storage. We booked a one-way ticket. And we arrived Germany. Okay. We didn't know anyone in Munich. <laughs> Questions <laughs> were opening in my head. Go on, Skaya. <laughs> so we... Um, 
so we, I, I, because I, I like research, so I researched where we could stay. So the plan was we would stay in a hotel uh, for eight days, and then we will stay in a, a packed hotel for three months or one month, depending on when we find a place. We've never been to Munich. We didn't know anybody there, you know, things like that. Oh, well, I tell a lie. Um, Chinaji, my husband, knew one yeah. person, but it's not as if they were close. They were close. So we arrived Munich around eight in the night um, on a Saturday. I remember it very well. And um, we checked into the hotel. And then the next day, we didn't realize that in Europe, no shop opens on a Sunday. And so there was nowhere to go to. We were just stuck in this hotel room because we went for a cheap one as well. And so we were lucky to find the McDonald's where to eat. And so we ate there. And um, the shock to our system was that it wasn't as easy. You know, like in London, you could just go on the internet, you find houses and bam, you're already in the house. But in Germany, it's different. You have to, um, it's like a job application. You basically have to have your full file, your passport copies, your payslip, everything ready when you're going to look for a place. And so we were stuck in this, We, I mean, we stayed in the hotel for eight days and then moved to the holiday apartment. Lovely lady, a Russian lady. And she kind of like took us like family. Sometimes she would take the kids out and the rest. Um, my husband still couldn't find um, a job. And so it was just me in this contract role. And um, when we eventually found a house three months later um, in Germany, when you find a house, sometimes they tell you to bring your own kitchen or bring your own bathroom or bring your own floor, bring your own wow. lighting, everything. So we had to bring our own. Yeah. Yeah. We had to bring our own kitchen. We had to buy a whole new kitchen, buy lighting in the house and things like that. So it was a lot of money. I think, we, I mean, if we had to estimate how much we spent moving to Germany and the, um, also bringing our things from the UK, we probably spent up to 20,000 wow. euros. And it's a miracle how we got that money because obviously we didn't really have that much when we were in the UK because we had some, you know what Africa is like, you have family ties as well, you're helping family yeah. and things yeah. like that. And But when I took the job in Amadeus, that was the company I took, they paid me my first uh, month's airline, salary. Airline stuff, is it? Is it? They're not really, um, no, they not do airline, airline but they're travel. So they, travel, they yes. have their, they, yeah, they have their data center. So yeah. I worked in the data center area. Right, so, right, right. Yeah. Now, I knew and about then, them because I was doing the job with um, OAG Worldwide. Okay, yeah. Um, the travel systems and all that stuff. So they're, they're similar to Galileo. Galileo, yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so they're sim similar to that. And the strangest thing happened when I took the job, they paid me my first month's salary in advance. Amazing. Never heard of it. Never. And I'm a contractor, first month's salary yeah. in advance. So that kind of like, yeah, that kind of like helped. And, you know, that kind of like cushioned us. And so that was 2014. And then 2015, I just said, you know what? I want to do something different. I'm a contractor. I'm earning good money. Why not publish? So I I wrote my first children's book in March 2015. And then I heard about Frankfurt Book Fair. And so I decided to write four more books. Hold that so, thought. Hold that thought. I want to take you back a little bit. Okay. I want to take you back. You left the UK. Yeah. One-way ticket. Yeah. Was it all planned that no. you were never going to come back? Yeah, uh, well, we were just taking the risk. We just said, 
one-way ticket. Let's see where it takes us. If it doesn't work, we come back. We put our things in the storage in the UK. And you we went together. Because that is a super amazing risk-taking adventure <laughs> you went on there. You know, and it's yeah. not just like a travel thing. Someone says, you know what? I don't know where I want to go to on holiday. I'm just going to go. This is your family. This is your life. Yeah. You gave everything. A different language. There. They don't speak English in the village we live in. Yeah. Because, I mean, say something around that. Because a lot of people are thinking about doing or taking some major leap in their life or want to change mm -hmm. something. They have it in their head. They, they want to, you know, obviously have a better life. Maybe mm -hmm. it's a job or family. But they're too scared to take that leap. I mean, yours wasn't in the, yours wasn't even a leap. I don't know what to call it. You flew. <laughs> you flew. It wasn't a leap. Yeah, I mean. When, so people, people are scared to make moves like that. Mm -hmm. Let alone, you know, other smaller, you know, um, you know, ventures or something that could change their life. This has changed your life, the life of you. It your has, it has, it has. I mean, everyone's different. But for me, I'm like, I, I don't believe in family separation, whereby the husband goes first, the wife goes first. Absolutely, I agree with you. If on we're going to do it, let's do Together. it. My father, my father always said, if it's one bedroom we have, we'll all stay in that one bedroom together. Yes. And so that's what we did, you know. And one thing I always say to people, if there's something you really want to do, don't go telling everybody. Because there, it's why, not everybody. Reason because some people don't see your vision. Some people will immediate, there's so many negative um, sayers as well. Some people will immediately throw all the, you know, Jeremy is racist. Oh, this, you know, you can't go with your whole family. Why don't you test the waters and things like that? If you've made up your mind to do something, just go for it. It may not work. There's nothing wrong with failing. We were prepared to take the chance. If we fail, we fail and we come back. I love that. Yeah. So failure doesn't mean that, you know, you know, failing at something doesn't mean your life is completely ruined. Dust yourself, find the next avenue. Absolutely. That's it. Absolutely. I like to say that failure is not, uh, it's not absolute, you know, exactly. you know, there, there are opportunities in failure because you come up with lessons. So it's never failure in the end as, you know, as it's often seen. Exactly. Exactly. So that was the attitude and that's the attitude we've always taken in everything, even the, the book, the book publishing, that's the same yeah. attitude we've taken. Yes. So how has that been now? You've published, you know, <laughs> how, I mean, how many books have you published now? Um, only the five, first of all. Five. Did so you say I only five? <laughs> I've only done one. <laughs> um, you say only five? That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. You know, yeah. and that's good. Children's book is one of the hardest to actually publish. You have really? to be mindful. It is really, really hard. Oh, that's yes. It is hard. First of all, the different age groups. You have to be mindful about the, the language. You have to be mindful about the num the word count, mm -hmm. um, the, you know, the, the, the kind of illustrations you have in there, the market. There's so many things you need to consider for a children's book. And um, you have to actually be a child to be able to think like a child and write a, ch a child's book. Yes, makes sense. Yeah, so it's a lot of interaction. And um, so I, <laughs> so the first book I published, which was March um, 2015, which is Bob's Blanket Gets a Wash, 
yeah. was inspired by my son. He's got a cuddle item, which yeah. he never wanted to wash. And so I was trying to teach children, parents that, you know, there's an easy way to get your child to wash their cuddle item, basically. And being excited and the fact that I was contracting and, you know, the money was there. Yes. It, what I would advise people, if it's not your native language, don't go in there. So I published 1,000 English books and 1,000 German translated books. Now, for the English book... Do you mind repeating that? You published... Yes, I, I did the self-publishing. So we, um, <laughs> so I wrote the book. I found someone on Fiverr to do the illustration. Yeah. I looked for uh, a printing company. I registered myself as a publisher. Yeah. I looked yes. for a printing company um, in Spain. And um, I also bought a software to also learn how to arrange because you have to also arrange the book. So after writing, arrange the pictures and things like that. Yes. So I had to get the, the Adobe Suite to do that. And then I um, had it printed from um, Spain and they shipped it over. So I have about 2,000 of these hard copy books shipped over to me. And then you have to do the marketing yourself. You have to do a lot of stuff, you know, sales and all that stuff. And so, and Germany can be shrewd. If you register a company and you don't make money in the first three years and you close the company, you pay back. So I lost 7,000 euros. Wow. Back to the government because I shut the, my accountant forgot to tell me that you know if I close the account of the company before three years I would have to pay the cost of each of the books that I've got left. Wow! So that happened, and um, so that was that with those copies of books you got printed. So I I mean for the English one, I think I've sold probably about four to five hundred okay. of those books, and then I donated some to. Um, a hospital in Basel. Okay. And the German one, I have them in my garage, actually. Probably have about eight of the, 800 of them in my garage. And then for the four other books that I published in September, because we, <laughs> we went for, because I wanted to go for Frankfurt Book Fair and I didn't want to go with just one book. Yes. We ordered a stall. Instead of getting a stand, we got a stall, big yeah. feet. And a stall is about 3,000 euro. And because my company was registered in Germany, they put me amongst the German giants. So rather, oh. than, put me on, <laughs> rather than put me on the English floor, they actually put me well, on the That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, not quite. I didn't even sell a book at the book fair. Oh, it was, was that because the giants were overshadowing you? They were everywhere. They were so fancy. They had their stalls nicely decorated. There's all sorts. Wow. But, um... It was a lesson, but it was a good exposure for me as well. You know, I met some lovely people. So I had five books on display in my stall. Yeah. My family helped me set it up. You know, there are pictures on my website, actually, the whole journey. But it was a good experience. We drove all the way to Frankfurt. We, you know, every day we were down at the fair, you know, trying to interact with people and the rest. But would I publish, self-publish a book like that in that volume again? I don't think so. I think I'll do print on demand rather than, you know, having to publish all those books because right now I am donating some of them to, um, you know, charity. I yes. actually donated to one, a, a local charity here and I, we got published in the new, the local newspaper for doing that. They were well chuffed. Amazing. Amazing. So, but that was my book journey. So now I've written three novels now okay. um, which I'm hoping to uh, produce as a future film mm -hmm. and I have released as I said my first shots 
um, short film as well, yeah. which is amazing. So, amazing. Yeah. amazing, amazing. Wow. You know, I, I don't even know where to take the conversation now because you've given me so, you've given me so much. You know, and it just goes to show, like you said earlier, when you put your mind to something, and it, it's possible to make breakthroughs in your life. Yeah. Uh, and one of the thoughts that came to mind is there are people who feel like they've been jinxed, you know, and they probably say things like generational curse is following them up and down. You know, when you believe these things, it limits your ability Definitely. The right actions yeah. to deal with the challenges you're facing because everything just becomes a problem, you know, but you don't see it that way. You know, you, I'm, still, I'm still blown away by, you know, that leap of faith you took. <laughs> that I'm still blown away by that because would I do that? Maybe. It depends. Yeah, you could, because, I mean, there was a time when we were in the UK where we barely had anything. Mm-hmm. We ha- I have this blue piggy bank that I've had for, like, I think before I got married, actually. And there was a time we were so broke that we would open the piggy to even buy bread. Wow. And it was so bad because I was like, how can I be earning good money? My husband's also earning good money. And at the end of the day, we're overdrawn. We are barely making, you know, barely making it in anything. And we looked at our life and said, I mean, there's nothing to lose. You know, we take this leap. There's really nothing to lose. You know, I know that people say you're crazy. You've gone into a land that, you know, it's different language. You don't know the language. You don't know anyone. There's racism to some extent, which we did. I mean, we still experience sometimes, but there's racism everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. even amongst your own race as well. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but it's been a good journey. And I, I want to say God's been good to us because along every step we've taken, there's always been like an angel. So when we moved to Germany, there was that Russian lady who decided that, you know, she would help us look for a house. She would... Um, she would help us look after the kids. Even the house we're living in, the first time we looked at this house, it was still in building. They were still building it. And we came out, it was too far. It was like traveling to another place in the middle of nowhere. And we said, there's no way we're going to move to this kind of place. And then we looked at other houses. But then my husband and this lady came back to this house. And they said the house, you know, had you know they'd taken a different look and we should actually take it. Yeah. So when yeah. the, the, the owner of the house, bless him, he's such Thank a lot Sorry? Okay, that's good enough. No, I was losing your audio. For a okay, second. hear me now. So when the, when the owner of the house came to our apartment hotel to sign the contract, he said he had, seen, um, he had seen a Bible next to my bedside table and he knew that he was making the right choice. And so that's what made him sign the contract. You won't believe we've been in this house coming, coming up to eight years. He's never, ever increased the rent. Wow. We're still rent. And it's one of the cheap, it's a full house, three floors. We have a basement and we have two other floors. And the front of our house, you can pack about six or seven cars. He's never, ever increased the, um, the rent there. And he does, he's, I mean, he's amazing. You call him, there's a problem. He's, you know, he comes immediately. So, so that's one person that's been a blessing to us. And then when we, when we enrolled our children in the nursery, well, they call it kindergarten, kindergarten and kindergarten here. My my children's um, friends, their parents just decided they would come to 
setting meetings would also help us translate. They would sometimes take the kids for us. They would remind us about appointments because I always forget all the appointments. They would remind us about appointments and different things. And when we moved, when they moved to the primary school, we still, other parents took them under their wings. I mean, it's been amazing, you know, different journeys. What's your German like? <laughs> so I have done up to B1 certificate, which is like level what does that mean? seven. It's like level seven. So I can be, I can get by, basically. I can, you know, do appointments and things like that. I can pretty much hear quite a, I could say that I can hear pretty good, but I'm not so good at speaking because my mm -hmm. accent and the German language doesn't really go well together. Yeah. So. And yeah, but yeah. That is incredible because... Just one thing you said earlier, you talked about the time, you know, when you and your husband were going through financial difficulties and mm -hmm. you were saving money out, you're taking money out of, of a piggy bank, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I love how you are open about this, you know, and, you know, no shame in talking about these different this dynamics of life. Exactly. It's life. But you find people sometimes try to cover up you know, this aspect of life and put on a show like all is good, but yeah. then they don't get the help, the desire. And I feel exactly. when you're pretending that you have it all when you don't actually have it, you are limiting yourself. And I yeah. feel like I feel that speaking about these things, you know, it, it's it's life. We have to be yeah. have to embrace life in all its facets. Life yeah. life takes, you know, things come, things go. You know, and, and don't try to, you know, polish things over <laughs> and um, act like, you know, you're some type of a celebrity when you ain't got nothing. <laughs> no. You know, I, and, you I know, it's I, pressure. I, I've, been, I've been through financial difficulties as well. You know, and I see these things that, you know, I mean, you're, 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 you're Christian, you're, you, you know, the Bible, mm -hmm. the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest apostles in the Bible, mm -hmm. you know, he started as, um, as a lawyer. Yeah, he was a lawyer. He was so wealthy, you know, before he became a disciple and apostle of Jesus Christ. And there's one thing that he said that really stuck with me and still stuck with me today that he's learned to live with less and enjoy exactly. that. And exactly. he has more than he enjoys that much more. Exactly. He's got. You know, and that's the mindset we should have yeah. about, you know, life. You know, and not overcomplicate things exactly. for ourselves. You know, yes, it's okay to be broke. Seriously. It's okay to be broke. Okay to be broke. It teaches you <laughs> something. Yeah. Humility, whatever, you know, and how to appreciate life. Really. Yeah, it makes you value when you had and now that you don't have. Yes. You take a different approach to when you suddenly have a gain, you, you look back to, what made me not have, mm -hmm. you know, why did I get and find myself in that particular phase? And what, what we noticed, why were we in lack? It was because <laughs> whenever we wanted to plan something when we were in the UK, we always thought about if someone wants to come and visit us, we should be able to accommodate them. We should, so we would rent a place just so we can accommodate, you know, we loved having people around yeah. and so different people, but even in an aircraft, they say, make sure you take care of yourself first before you put the mask on the next person. And so we sat down one day and we thought to ourselves, if we're, you know, 
overdoing, you know, trying to cater for everybody and we're not catering for ourselves, we're being stupid. We're being foolish, really. You know, why must we always think, you know, what about when this person visits? How would, you know, is this person comfortable? Don't get me wrong, we still do help people. Of course. But make sure that we have enough. And one of the things that we've noticed that a lot of people are making mistakes about. I'm losing your audio again. Sorry, can you hear me now? Better. Yes, better. Yes. So, what, what we notice that a lot of people are making mistakes about is that they think that there is that need to buy everything and own mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. We've got one car. That's okay. If you, you know, do use it for what you need it for. If someone comes to visit you, they've come to visit you, not what you have in your house. They should learn to adjust. Yeah. If you've got the one car, the one room, they knew about the one room when they were visiting you. They made up their mind. And if you, there's nothing wrong also in saying no to people. There's some, you know, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, there's sometimes, you know, we used to feel pressured when people say they want to come visit us. Mm-hmm. We knew very well that we were in a tight spot and we really couldn't entertain visitors. And we would say to people, sorry, at this moment, we really can't, you know, take you in. And yeah. people feel, oh, why are you being like that? But I'm not being like that. I'm looking at my situation to be real to you to say, I can't have you, you know. So I mean, I people should say no. Been, you know, yeah. I, I always say, you know, no is equal to yes in the sense that, you know, they've got they both got the same way. None of them is bad. Exactly. Yeah. So yes, because you can. No, because you can't. Exactly. Or no, because I don't want to. Exactly. That's okay. I should feel condemned on that, you know. Yes. And so that's what we teach our children as well. So there's so much things. And moving to Germany was one of the best things we ever did to ourselves because the Germans are so laid back. They are natural. So when we first moved, when we first took our kids to the kindergarten, we would see parents sit on the floor just to tie a lace on their child's shoes. And we would see people that they're probably earning thousands of euros or whatever. They're casually dressed in jeans and top. And that doesn't change their status. You know, you would see, because we live in a farm area, you would see children on the tractors with their parents. The parents were literally teaching the children the trade. And so that blew our mind. And we started, you know, we started being more open with our children. When we don't have, we actually say to our children, okay, we need to, you know, calm down. We need to address certain things, you know. We don't have that much. And they understand. Sometimes we'll go into the shop. I want to buy my daughter or my son something. My daughter would say to me, Mama, I've got the other jumper or I've got the other shoe. I don't need another one. That's amazing. Because we've taught them that, you know, if you don't need it, it we, we told them the difference between a need and a want. And so they practice it, which is, you know, we need to get to that level in life. I'm not saying we're perfect. We still have a lot to learn, but we're now learning about investments. We're learning about life policies. We're le- learning about, about writing a will which people, a lot of people think, oh, are you saying I'm going to die soon? No, you're not going to die soon. Isn't that a cultural thing with Africans, particularly Nigerians? You know, people, they, they shy away from talking about, you know, writing wills. I actually mentioned that in chapter six, right. you know, and, um, you know, and I said, you know, writing the will doesn't mean that you're going to die. It's just right. the reality of, like, you got to plan. Yep, you have to plan. You have to plan and, um, you know, with, with Africans in general, I don't know about other cultures, but we tend to look after family and friends. But one thing I always say to people now is make sure that you've paid your bills. You've kept a bit for yourself. 
you're looking at some investments before you start dishing out money. There's yeah. not that you don't want to retire and then you're 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 struggling and looking for where you get your next bread. You want to do something now that you're young, you know, inconvenience yourself a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, buy what's needed, you know, sometimes maybe spoil yourself a little bit. You don't want, you want to go on a trip. Yeah. Make sure you start investing, not just putting money in the bank. And what would you say investing is? Because for some people, investing is about putting money in the bank, you know, buying stocks and shares, you know. Uh, and now the trending thing is, um, what do you call it? Several people have tried to get me on it. Um, Bitcoin. Currency thing, yeah, the cryptocurrency thing. Cryptocurrency, yeah. Yeah, that's, is, that's for, for most people, that is investment. How Not really. <laughs> How would you describe investment or the sort of investment people should be making? There are different types of investments. I could even call, um, you know, learning an investment because you see that you have, yeah, you see that you want to do something and then you start studying for it. You start doing some YouTube videos or whatever, you know, you start studying. That's an investment because you have a vision. But I always say to people, before you even do an investment, what's your vision? Yeah. What are your goals? Have yeah. you thought about that yeah. before you start jumping? Have you done your research if you want to go into somewhere? So investment can, for me can be anything. Yeah. But master your research. And why are you doing that investment? Are you yeah. following the crowd? Or have you actually researched to see that, you know, by X number of years, this is what you're expecting from that investment? So Absolutely. it is really what you make it. Absolutely. And I love, I love, I love investment that you have control over. And um because a lot of the investment people make, they don't have control over it. The price is set by the by the other party. You yeah. know, you know. Uh, for me, you know, investment is about some of it is about learning and using mm-hmm. that learning to generate some kind of revenue for myself. Exactly. You know, um, starting a business or developing a product or something. Exactly. I have control over that. No mm-hmm. one can set the price for me but me. You know, yeah. whether it's teaching what I know. You know that again is investment, and I think people should um, should do more of that. You know because I feel well, that we have um, when I say more of that, I say more of you know. I think the the buzzword now is diver, diversify. Diversify, Some yeah. People are diversifying without checking the balance, as in where do I want to put my hands in. Mm-hmm. You know, so people, so they're the high risk takers who choose yeah. to, you know, go for this crypto like and everything. <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a high risk taker. I like to be in control of yeah. some of the things I do. So oh, yeah. my, my husband's always like, you know, you, you can't control everything. I said, I know I can't, but the ones that I can, I want to control it. So yeah. um, for us now, we would look at land, you know, buying a land, yeah. you know. It, it, I think it's much better than going into crypto um, cryptocurrency. Yeah. Um, you know, but um, investing in yourself educationally because no one can steal that from you. Absolutely. I 100 percent agree with that. Yes. And I also think investing in who you hang out with is a key thing. Yes. If you invest yourself in people that don't add value to you, you've messed up your future. Absolutely. So, Investment in the right network. Yeah, the net, the right network. So yeah, so for me, diversify is in various ways. It could be in being building the right network. It could be learning. It could be buying property or buying land and things like that. So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Wow, incredible. 
Listen, you know, it's um, you know, talking about these things, it's you know, it's it's like I'm this you're you're, you're my sister, you know, like it's like <laughs> I could go way back from where we are, you know, whatever, and here we are talking about these things, you know. It just shows how far, you know, we've come. It hasn't yeah. been an easy road, you know, there's been a lot of you know, stories in between that obviously we can't go into all the details on mm-hmm. in, in one hour or even a two hour, or even if we decide to start to keep talking for the whole, <laughs> for the rest, for the next 24 hours, we're still not going to cover the whole, um, you know, life journey we've been on, you know, but what's incredible is the fact that we are making progress. In life, you know, and that's the whole thing about owning who we are as individuals that we owe it to ourselves to make progress. How do you measure progress in your Mm -hmm. life? If you look back 10 years, 20 years where you were and you look at where you are now, would you say you've progressed? I mean, I'm just throwing the question now. I mean, this is just a (laughs) very good question or question to the listeners. (laughs) You know, I I can answer the question for you because I know you from way back anyway. I mean, both. Sides. I I think in all areas of my life, I I I, I would say I've I've done good progress. I mean, it you know, be it um, in my person, my side geek, which is my writing, or my professional career. You know, um, I, I think I I've done well, even with my children. You know, the way that I communicate with my kids and play yeah, with my absolutely for me, it's progress. You know, because it matters. You know the way you communicate with your kids. And um, I just think before, I don't think I used to take risk the way I take risk now. So for me, that's a progress as well, that Mm -hmm. I'm not limiting myself because I think, you know, oh, I might fail. I'm not afraid to fail. And for me, that's a big progress in my own sense. Absolutely. I'm I'm not afraid to fail. Would you say having a family, having children is impacted your risk-taking you know, for the lesser or for the... Hmm. The thing is that my mini-me's are just like us. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm telling you. My mini-me's are really like us. My my son would say to me, Mama, why can't you? You say to us, do it. Why can't you do it? Go for it. If you don't get it, it's fine. Even the job I'm in in at the moment, when I applied for it, because I used to work for a company which folded, you probably have heard about it, Wirecard, um, yes. the, the fraud incidents and everything. And so yeah. I applied for the job that I'm in now. And I knew that the CV, the, the job description said, you must speak German. That's mm-hmm. a good level of German. But I still applied for the job. Yeah. And when I was interviewed, I said to them, you know, I'm willing to learn. <laughs> Even though I knew that, you know, it was like, this is a German branch and I yeah. knew that to speak much and more more German, but I took the job. I'm the I mean initially we were two female. I'm the only female in the team of about 14 guys. And I'm loving the job. I'm loving the team. You know, we crack up each other and I'm still pushing for more risk and pushing, you know, I'm I'm the type of person that I make sure that everybody's on their feet. My previous job, I, I had a team lead role and I was um the program lead for two data center migration as yeah. well as, you know, also doing an Oracle migration. So I was doing three in one in the role. So I love challenges. 
Incredible. It's, in, it's interesting because it, tomorrow I'm having a podcast with um with a guy I met in Dubai a few years all ago. Right. He's a he's an entrepreneur. He's a technology entrepreneur, and um his thing is all about data centers. So we're going to be doing a lot ah. of data centers tomorrow. Um, yeah, I, I'll let you know about it once that episode is out. Yeah, um, I love, I love so data centers. It's gonna be a good one. The only um relationship I have with the data center was um it was actually I don't know what airline it was or to do with so I know yeah. the data center was somewhere near Gatwick, okay. sorry, Gatwick Heathrow, and um it was a data data center decommissioning I was uh, right. working on a few years ago, and these places are like small villages. <laughs> <laughs> it was huge. Yeah. It was, huge like a massive estate you know it was huge and um it was quite interesting so what's your take on women in technology fantastic we don't have enough we don't have enough yes we don't have enough i've um joined um the women are daichi so it's a it's a board where we're trying to make sure that you know they're more women um, you know, women um, balance and whatever. So I've just been voted in this year, um, one of the, the ladies in the board, and I am definitely going to push for diversity and inclusion. And I want to see more ladies in the um, the IT sector. My manager said I'm the only lady that's ever applied for a role in his team. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. And so I want to see more though. ladies. Why is that the case? Is it that women are not interested in technology and they think it's a man's thing? Is there a reason why? What What do you think? Well, um, it's um, a mixture of many things. So um, one of the roundtables, IT roundtables that I attended, I attend, one of the ladies said that um, the reason why she wasn't really getting CVs for certain roles was that the ladies felt that the jobs were very masculine. So the, the job descriptions were not really... Um, balanced it was more masculine another reason was the fact that um a lady always thinks 100 percent. if they want to do something it has to be all or nothing so if they looked at a job and they can't see themselves doing it 100 percent, they would never apply right yes a guy would say i can do 67 70 percent i'm not trying to be sexual or anything like that but you know uh-huh, yeah. they would say i can do 60 to 70 percent of this and they would apply for the job you know they would go for it and then sometimes in a meeting, um, sometimes some people can be insensitive. So you're in a meeting with so many other people and they're throwing comments and they're not being mindful of, you know, maybe the other culture or, or the other sex and things like yeah. that. And women can be very sensitive and that could make them not apply for a role because they've looted it. It's mostly guys. They don't want some sensitive comments being thrown at them. So it's yeah. a mixture of things, I would say. Yeah, we- yeah. We, we need to address and then there's the imbalance of pay you know the pay the pay scale it's yeah. not bad yeah. like that, it's so. a big issue around that which is still ongoing you know, yeah but i think there's been some some companies are making strides to obviously equal, yeah. make, make the pay scale equal for both men yeah. and women and yeah. i know i know there's also drive being made to have more women at the executive level yep and I was having this conversation not long ago about women at executive level. Yes, that inclusion is being made. You know, women are being yeah. allowed to get to the top. But mm-hmm. one of the things I've heard back from some of these women is that, yes, they are in those roles, but they're not being allowed to act in that capacity. It is a challenge, yeah. 
It is a challenge. I mean, when I was running the data center migration, I remember a particular guy saying to me, who made you the program lead? Wow. And he, you know, he, and he, yeah, he was well challenged, you know, because he couldn't understand why I was the program lead. And I was also in charge of the Oracle migration and he just couldn't stomach it. Wow. And so struggled and struggled to, you know, work with me. And I just basically, you know, when you're working in certain roles, you just have to understand the different characters and know how to address them. And so in some meetings, he would literally be barking or, you know, as if he wanted to jump over the table and attack me. Wow. And so the EVP said to me, how do you manage to remain calm about things? Yeah, how do you? I pray a lot, <laughs> that's for sure. But um, I, I think I've, con- I've come to the level in my career where I've seen different types of people and I've mastered how to, you know, work with certain people. But I do pray a lot. I do pray before I go into meetings. And, yeah, sometimes you just say to yourself, is it worth it? Do you really want to bring yourself down to that level with that person? And it's not worth it, really. It's not worth it, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes those people just want an attention. So for some of them, they just want to be allocated a particular type of role. And that shuts them up. Make them feel important. That is amazing. You know, it, it's you know, dealing with people is something that we do every day. And um, I think in order to avoid putting so much stress on ourselves, we have to have that open mind to know exactly. that there are crazy ones out there, and they, sometimes we will have to face those crazy ones. So the question I have to ask myself is, do I want to be crazy? But exactly. I can crazy when they are crazy. No. Exactly. To give me stress, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want the stress. I want exactly. to. I want to be home in my bed at night, sleeping, not thinking about what this person did to me or that person that did to me. So I, I, I love my sleep. So I love. I love peaceful sleep. So um, being as um, being aware yeah. of the environment we live in, and you know, preparing ourselves for the next day. Yeah. I used to do this exercise where I. You know, after a day's work, I would step back before going to bed and then reflect. I kind of play right. back my day. You know, I mentally play back my day to see right. what happened in my day. It's like watching myself in a TV show. I'm playing that back to see who did this to make me feel a certain way. How did I do it? You know, who are the key players? What was the what was the um the event? Mm-hmm. Where did that go from there? So I play it all back. And you know, in the last few minutes, so it's called the 23, I think it's 22 minutes or 23 minute exercise. And the oh, last I'll try that. <laughs> yeah, the, seven, the last seven minutes of the exercise, I then work out how I'm going to approach the next day in that same in, in, in that situation or in that environment again. And I find that I'm more prepared, mm-hmm. you know, for the next day. And I'm, in more, I'm, a, I'm more in control of how things play out as opposed to letting the day control me. Okay, that's something I'm going to try. <laughs> it did work I a lot. I, mean, it does work I will a lot. try it. I will yeah. try it. Yeah. It does work a lot. It does work. I mean, I still do that and it does work. And, um, you know, you get less stress really from, yeah, sometimes you just have to sit back and just smile when people act a certain way. Yep, I do that as well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. 
Come on, I've got to shed a little bit of light on your husband here. Come on, man. <laughs> Whenever the finish is show, shed, shed a bit of light. Give, give him a, my husband. <laughs> give, him, give him five minutes of glory here. Let's put it. Oh, no, I have. No, sorry. I, mean, I, don't think, I don't think, apart from God, I don't think I would have been where I am, you know, made it this far without my husband. He is, you no. Know, uh, the way people call you bo boy smile. <laughs> That's the same way my husband is a boy smile, you know. You were <laughs> the first person to mention that on the show. <laughs> my nickname from before. <laughs> but it is. You're, you're still smiling. You're still laughing. And it's funny, he was asking me, like, do people still call you boy smile? I'm like, yeah, the very few, the ones who know me from way back, <laughs> yes, they still do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, my husband is, he's laid back. He's, he's so supportive and um, he has his own business. He, he, um, he is, he's into t-shirt designs. Um, Wait, I was going to wear, I'm going to do this on the show. Hold on. <laughs> yes. So that whoever is watching can see. <laughs> Yes, he made this for me. <laughs> My yes. yes, I was going to that, but that was that. So, yes, he's creative. He's super talented and amazing quality, amazing, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. You know, and yes. I'm going to be ordering, yeah, my merchandise stuff. He's going to be doing all that for me. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he, he he's a self-taught designer because he led everything. Amazing. But he's passionate about what he's doing and, you know, he's always like trying new things. And the, the great thing about him is that if he feels that we don't have the finance, you know, to buy a particular um, table that he needs for whatever he's doing, he makes them himself. He goes to the store, wow. gets wood, and he makes them himself. That came he makes out. a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. So. That is amazing. That is incredible. Yes. That is incredible. Yeah. You are both super risk takers. I'm going to get him on the show, seriously. Tell him it's his turn next. next, next. <laughs> I wonder how you guys are going to get words through because both of you are always laughing. <laughs> <laughs> We're probably going to be laughing all the way through. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I would love to get him on the show as well at some point. No, it's going to be a fun okay. one. Uh, some people are just... Yeah, they have something, but they don't know what they have. Because well, everyone has to arrive at it, you know. They have to get to that point where they, they now know that it's time for them to do something. If you try to convince them, it's just like you said, your friend has been telling you for three years, but you weren't ready. I wasn't ready, yes. Exactly. It's not that I didn't know I could do it, but I needed to find my voice. Exactly. To know what, you know, what, what um was to be projecting. Mm -hmm. You know, so I thought, I'm just going to do what I know, you know, exactly. and take what I know and make it into something. And I'm going on the, you know, I'm going on the theme of risk, but making, you know, risk applicable to everyone. And, you know, everyone mm -hmm. is a risk taker. And, and when you went into this risk, no one was really interested. I, I still remember, honestly, when you, when I you, know, <laughs> I, I, I remember it was in front of, I think we had this conversation right in front of um, the university in yeah. the evening. When yeah. you said we're quitting, and I'm thinking, is this guy crazy or something? Yeah. So you're going into risk, you're doing this course, I'm thinking, all right, if you say so. And look at how far you've come. Look at how far. And, you know, I think, you know, it's just, I'm still at the bottom, you know, because there's so much I want to do. So I'm writing my second book, and it's more, it's more, it's more risk-focused. Yeah. 
And I, I, I think that second book, you know, is what will set me apart from everyone else because it will be a book like it's like no one else, you know, in risk. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to be something that everyone would appreciate and find valuable. It's not for the risk professionals. It's for okay. everyone. Like everyone, because we all take risk in life. We need to know how. Exactly, exactly. I'm taking those fundamental, you know, principles. I'm making it applicable. And that, that's one of the biggest failure of risk is the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, everyone takes, you know, talk about risk, 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 risk. But it ends in, it ends in companies. It's not, no. taking, you know, they don't bring it home to the ordinary people. Exactly. I think, but why do you think that happens? Because sometimes I feel that this cliche thing happens once someone thinks that, once people see that this is working, everybody floats that place and, you know, uses the same formula. They, they will drop off eventually. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's happening now in risk because everybody wants to, do, everybody, everybody wants to jump onto the risk bank like, now and become risk managers. But yeah. they probably don't have the vision for it. They They're just the jumping vision. into it. Yeah. Remember when um, MCS, is it Microsoft Certified? Yeah. Was, oh, yeah. The certification. Remember that one? Yes, yes. Yes, and then people were doing Microsoft service. It was the same thing. Everybody was just rushing into it. Exactly. You know? And, you know, obviously, it's probably the quickest thing they could learn to make money. It was all about making money at the end. But exactly. Yeah. About that. You know, I realized, when I got into it, I realized that I was, um, that, I am a risk taker and, you know, everything around what I was learning, mm-hmm. was, you know, spoke to me because the things I was doing in my life, mm-hmm. you know, was really taking risk. But yeah. now I understand that there is a way to do it. Okay. I've understood the way from a textbook perspective, but mm-hmm. I'm taking it away from the textbook perspective now and advancing it beyond the textbook because okay. it's it limits you to what happens you know in businesses in organizations but who builds businesses people yeah so how do you now make the person understand that they are the risk first exactly because and and one of the things i've done is redefine what risk means and my definition of risk is that risk is a person or an entity, an entity business, small, medium, or large, with a purpose. Because the oh, whole- I now understand your slogan. The risk is you. The risk is you. That's why. That's why you have that slogan. That's why. Yes. That's why I've got that there. The risk is All you. Right. Yes, exactly. You know, and that's my that's my theme. That's what I'm pushing. Mm-hmm. That's my, you know, uh, whatever it is you want to call it. But that is my identity. And um, I've got a I've got great vision for risk ib it's been amazing thank you i'm glad thank you for saying (laughs) yes to me to come on the show (laughs) i really really do appreciate this this is special for me my goodness i wonder who from our past will see this um oh my goodness (laughs) i'm gonna be getting calls or email or messages or something you know but it's been incredible, but I'm not going to let you go without asking you one question. And that's what I call the superhero question. Okay. Superhero question. It's all the same thing. Anyway, hero, shiro, you represent male, female. But um, yeah, so I always ask this question at the end and I always ask people to share 
who they consider to be a superhero that has impacted them, impacted them in their life, mm -hmm. and um, why that person is significant to you. It could be, mm -hmm. uh, you know, living someone who's not living, okay. who's passed away, right. uh, fictional or non-fictional. So I have so many people that have impacted my life, but when I think about calmness and creativity, Maya Angelou. Wow. Maya Angelou my is my lady anytime. And when everything is just, you know, crumbling or all over the place, I go back to her poem, Still I Rise, and I recite it, and I think about it. You want to share a line from that poem? No. <laughs> 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 uh, but still I rise, and I yeah. like the way that she, you know, if you break the poem out, you would, think, you would see places where, she, you know, you say, does my sassiness offend you? You know, mm. so she's looking at herself, she's appreci appreciating herself and saying, it's almost like tough. This is me. Whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not, this is me and I will still rise yeah. no matter my, you know, things that surround me. Yeah. And so, yeah, she's a big one for me. Amazing. Still, I, I Thank Angela. you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. Maya Angela, she's a phenomenal figure. And, um, yeah, sure. but, you know, she... I don't know if she and um I think she shares a lot in common with Nina Simone. Yes, that's my husband's. So he likes oh, really? Nina Simone. I, I like one. My yeah. Angelo, so yeah. Yeah, so she shares a lot in common with Nina Simone. And I love Nina Simone's sassiness. She's straight yes. walking. Exactly. Game BSing around and all that stuff. No, so okay. um yeah, thank you for sharing that. Ivy, it's been amazing having thank you. Thank you. I can't believe I did it. <laughs> you did it. You did it. And you are amazing. We're going to do a part two. I know you did part two. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> let's have, let others have a platform. Okay. Oh, that's generous of you. Well done. Thank you for that. that no, that's really quite <laughs> Yeah, but uh, seriously, I don't even want to end the show, seriously. <laughs> I don't know, I want to keep it you going. <laughs> I know you got to go, you got to go to the company and um, do your thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I can't wait for that film to come out. Thank you. Um, yeah, I wish you all the best in that. Thank you. Yes, um, we need more people like you. And what I love about you is, you know, you've maintained this demeanor ever calm thank you omg ivy <laughs> i love that and look at you thank producing you. producing 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 and just that's just what we need you know peace you know people who are creative and visionaries like you you don't have to you know be blowing the trumpets and saying here i come but you're blowing <laughs> your trumpet through the things you do thank so, you yeah so thank you so much thank you very much for having me Thank you for spending the time to listen to this podcast episode with Ibire Ade. I try to showcase ordinary people like you and I on my podcast, people you can relate with. And I sure hope that this episode with Ibire is one that has either inspired you or prompted you to take some kind of progressive action, whether it's in your thoughts or in what you do. Why don't you send us a voice message to let us know how this episode benefited you? or just share a comment with us. You can do this with the send in a voice message link in the show bio. Click the link and send a voice message to let us know how this episode 
resonated with you. Check out our new shows every week and click the follow or subscribe button to be notified when they are released. I am your host, your risk champ, Isabelle Gudo, here on the School of Risk podcast. Until next time, understand this one thing. If you have a risk you want to take in relation to achieving your purpose and you delay, you are already taking a step backwards. Take that risk. The results either way will lead to an opportunity that could bring you something really good. Bye for now.